Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another MSP Cyber Roundtable. Today we've got Casey and Meg from Stride for a conversation around uh, pricing using actionable data to build profit. Um, I really like profit and I really like data and action, honestly. So I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, just before we we went live, we were talking about. Um, Stride uses Asana. I'm assuming that's like a Jira. Um, and then I was going to ask those questions and Matt had an idea. And then all of a sudden we were live. So what the hell is Asana? Is that like Jira? Yeah, it is. So uh, we use Asana strictly for project management. We can track workloads in Asana. It's our, um, it's really like our single workflow tool. We use Asana. Everybody's in Asana. Um, everyone has a universe in Asana. It's really cool. We can we have like portfolio level, which is all of someone's projects. Like, like I have a universe in Asana, Casey has a universe. And within your universe, you have portfolios that you're working on, com like compromise of different projects. So all of our clients roll up into a larger portfolio, all of our strategic initiatives. And like yeah. at the very granular level, we track tasks and um, like completion of tasks, status updates, timelines, things like that. I love so yeah, I mean, uh, people are really opinionated about their project management tools. And I, there's companies that use them well, right? And there's companies that don't. And I, that's the differentiator I've seen are people that commit to using a project management tool and using it effectively. And 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 there's companies that don't, haven't, haven't figured that out, right? Yeah, um, I think that's anything. If you commit to something and really decide you're going to make it work, that's usually, that's usually the way things go. Tools diets uh travel plans what else i don't know well well here we are we should do introductions um casey do you want to start tell me a little, tell me a little bit about yourself yeah so my name is casey seaborn i run business development here at stride accountant by trade and educational background but i'm much more on the entrepreneurial growth selling that type of a side. I spent two and a half years prior to Stride as a growth manager of an MSP and cybersecurity company here in Cleveland, Ohio. And now I spend all my time being a solutions therapist for our MSPs that we talk to here at Stride because they have problems and just need somebody to help them get them there. So what's, your, what's your favorite pizza topping? Ooh, favorite pizza topping. Um, I have to go with the Ohio style pepperoni, like the Donato's, the really small, crinkly, crispy pepperoni is by far the best on like pepperoni on pizza. My next question was going to be whether or not Cleveland had its own style of pizza. Cause I've lived a lot of places and everybody's kind of got, got a pizza. So you, you answer, what's your favorite thing back there behind you on your, My uh, favorite shelf? thing is it the printer? Well, now it is the. It was the professional lacrosse helmet from a buddy of mine that plays in the PLL, but now it is the Michigan National Championship sack uh, that I'm treating you. So blue. go blue. If you Did would you have asked that? him a week ago, it probably would have been the full bottle of bourbon, but it, it appears that that True. has been used. <laughs> that's gone. What that's kind of bourbon gone. was it? It was Maker's Mark. That oh, was, that's uh, a good bottle of bourbon. There you go. Nice. All right, Meg, you're up. All right. Um, my name is Meg Burbrick. I am the general manager of our MSP segment at Stride. Um, I also am an accountant by trade and worked way too long in public accounting, got out as soon as I could and did a lot of other things before I found Stride where um, I manage all of our MSP clients, oversee all of our clients here and support Casey in biz dev and sales. So I, I've got a lot of experience working with general managers in, in my world, but I'm guessing, or uh, in my lifetime rather, but I'm guessing the things that you do are different from the things that um, GMs in, in my previous uh, career have done. So what, what do you do as a GM? Yeah, so a lot of what I'm doing is tracking data for the MSP segment. So not only staying up to date on the industry as a whole um, and keeping us up to date at Stride, but uh, outside of managing and being the hopefully good escalation point for all of our MSP clients um, who are looking for maybe some more technical detail on the industry, um, I really do a lot of data gathering. So not only looking at you know our competitors or our peers, 
um, but tracking, you know, how the industry moves after time and what kind of strategy changes we need to make as we grow and as we serve more mature clients. Awesome. Favorite pizza topping? I don't do pizza. What do you do? I mean, if I why, why don't you do it? I what happened? I'm anti. I'm I'm not a picky eater at all, but I'm anti pizza. I would have to choose though, like. Are you like a hipster? What about a cauliflower <laughs> like like vegan pie? How about that? I mean, maybe, but my topping would still probably be like cinnamon and sugar. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, I'm gonna ask about the art behind you because I'm thrown off by your by your pizza. Oh, yeah, I, I wish you could see it better. I'm I've got it blurred, um, so you can't see my messy closet, but it's a little Boston Terrier jamming out to a boombox. And I got it by I was in London over Christmas one year, and there was just like a super neat street artist. And I was like, whatever it takes, I will forfeit my plane ticket home to buy that piece of art. So I've got a little Frenchie. So that was as close as I could get. But yeah, he's just jamming. I love to look at him. So I hung him aggressively high in my house. Like he does not look good compared to the rest of the home, but I just get happy staring at him all day in my background. It seems in proportion with the lamp. So I think you did a good job. Thank you. Who it. wants to do the stride, uh, a little quick stride introduction, and then Matt's going to take us through uh, through a lecture. Casey? As soon as he comes back it. from his uh, his connectivity issues. I'll be happy to do an intro on Stride. So simply put, since this is mostly an MSP audience, think of us as the accounting MSP for MSPs. We are a managed service provider of outsourced accounting, bookkeeping, PSA, specifically ConnectWise, and strategic financial services. We come in and we take an industry-specific team-based approach to fill your bookkeeping, accounting, and strategic finance departments for our clients. Been around for over 15 years, service over 100 clients, remote-based across the entire United States very high level of what we do. You were ready with that, man. That was no issue at all. I've, I've said that a dime or two here and there. So. I'm sure. <laughs> well, when we first spoke, I was really interested because it, it made a lot of sense to me, the you know accounting for MSPs. Um, I, I come from a, a, a world before this where it's really impo important to uh, put your um, players that are good at certain things in the space that um, – they're going to do the thing that they're good at. And uh, it's interesting to then come into the tech world and see um, organizations like yours understanding MSPs aren't necessarily going to have this specialty. Um, and, and then the same thing from the MSP perspective. That's the whole deal um, for MSPs. So interesting concept. Looking forward to diving into uh, our topic of the day. And um, Matt, let's... Uh, Let's do some some NIST stuff. You're actually tagged as Liz here, um, oh, which almost doesn't do which almost doesn't like, do either one of you justice. <laughs> I got uh, for some reason this train's going by on the tracks, and like at that exact moment, the Wi-Fi. Rock in your world. I, well, I wonder what's on the train. What I wonder. Ooh. But uh, there we. Go. Anyway, there we go. There we go. That's here the we right go. Title. And I, <laughs> I'm not quite ready, but there it is. So we've been covering um, the new NIST CSF 2.0. Um, uh, NIST CSF, uh, it's been around a while. Um, 1.0 is uh, out in the field for about 10 years. Um, 2.0 has seen some changes. Um, one of the things they decided was that, hey, it's great we had these five functions that were very technical, but maybe we should have some governance around on the cybersecurity program. So that new orange ring is new. Um, and uh, today we're, we're going to talk about the respond category. So, um, you know, you and I almost never these... agree on colors. One <laughs> of the two is of it... us is colorblind a little bit. I, Ye I'm almost yellow, sure. yellow. I, I don't know. <sighs> it's, it's I'm gold. Just, I'm just, I'm just giving you, <laughs> ignore me. Most. So, um, so respond, you know, it's, it's, what do you do after boom, right? So you want, first you want to identify your assets and then you want to protect them as good as you can. But at some point you have to realize you're, 
your best protection may not be good enough. And so you need to detect when your protection is not good enough. And if you've detected that it wasn't good enough because someone broke in and did something, right? How do you respond to that? Um, and, uh, you know, NIST's broke the, broken this down into categories. So um, first of all, let me say um, the response planning category um, has been moved into governance. Um, so now we're going to be starting with, um, you know, that was from 1.0. In 2.0, we're going to start out with incident management. So, um, you know, at that point, you should already have um, an incident management plan, you know, keeping track of who is the team that needs to come together when there's an incident. Um, what, what, what is the series of actions that they should be going through to determine impact of an incident? Um, how should they respond? Should they be notifying stakeholders inside the company that maybe aren't part of the team but need to know about it? Are they going to be notifying people outside the company like um, a regulator, like, um, uh, like someone in our uh, constabulary that might need to be informed of something criminal? Um, definitely customers to, if there's customer you're gonna impact. Have to, you're going to have to t at least teach me what a constabulary is. I don't know if else <laughs> It's a nice... Know. It's a nice word for police officers when you when you decide you like them when they're valuable you call them. <laughs> now I know that. That's a good word. Um, so in any case, um, you know you need to start out with uh, you know who is involved, who needs to be notified, but then you know make sure that you have a repeatable action plan. You know when there's an incident and. Um, you know, and when you're done, um, how do you make sure that um, the incident's over? You know, how do you make sure that um, you've gathered evidence? You know, how do you make sure that um, you've learned lessons for next time, right? So that's everything that needs to go into incident management. And, and the details um, with five subcategories of even more things to do are in the full um, NIST framework. However, let's move on to incident analysis. So when, you, when you're managing that incident, um, you know, you do need to sort of like open up the door and say uh, to the systems and say, hey, we've we found an incident. It, we, we detected it on this system. Let's go look in there. And um, we sometimes call this forensics, right? Um, forensically analyze, hey, what how did this how did this happen? You know, what are the things that led up to this detection? Maybe the maybe there's been an attacker. You, what types of things? Forgive me. What types of things can you see? with forensics because with well in, in in like real life it's like well there's a hair or there's a little bit of blood or you know here's this a shirt you know yeah i mean that the detection may not happen until we've detected a piece of crimeware right like a piece of software that gets used by criminal gangs right mm -hmm. but um to be real guys if you're not detecting until that point you may have missed a whole lot because um that gets, you know, that, that kind of software deployment gets deployed very late into an intrusion. Um, at that point, they've already got into the network. They've already rooted around. They've already found what they're trying to find. Maybe they've even extracted what they were trying to extract. Um, and the last thing they do before they sort of get out of town is install something that could potentially tip you off, but might have some residual value for the attacker. Um, and uh, like encrypt your machine or something like that, right? Demand payment. Um, at that point, uh, it would be normal to have a detection, but um, it, that might not be, you know, they, they may have been in there for six weeks. And so going back to see, hey, maybe in forensics, we could find out all the other machines that this machine talked to over the last six weeks. And it might be a long list, but it sure would be nice to know what they haven't talked to. So we could say, hey, they haven't accessed this critical customer database, but we know that they have access to this database, right? Or they have access to this data. Because um, we can see it on an audit log, but they don't have access to that data, right? Um, that's the type of stuff we're looking for in a forensic log. Um, it, from a technical perspective, it's like things like what programs ran, what files were opened, um, what processes were started, like what you know, what what software was installed. We're going to see user logins, stuff like that, and, and you know, there's going to be some analysis that goes into understanding what series of events, what evidence was left behind here, um, and that should all be part of the analysis phase. Um, incident response, reporting, and communication. We talked about that a little bit, um, but you know it's important here to note that it should be in alignment with company policy, but also what does the law say you need to do? Um, if you are going to do a uniform response that's compliant with 
all 50 states in the United States, um, what you would be required to do is notify regulators, law enforcement, and your customers within 24 hours. What was that word for law industry. enforcement again? I already lost it. <laughs> the constabulary. The constabulary. I was close. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you'd have to do that all within 24 hours, but it's not uniform in, in, in the U.S. And there's different requirements in different places. So know what those are. Um, Where should you look? Federal... Well, there's some federal guidance. Um, if you're in a specific industry, sometimes there's a regulator of that industry, which may have some specific guidance. But um, even down at the state level, there's consumer privacy laws, which apply to all co all companies. And then um, as an example here in New York, we have um, uh, you know a financial services law. It only impacts financial services. So you'd have to um, go talk to your financial services regulator in your state and see like, oh, is there special guidance here? Um, state attorney general sometimes post this. Um, frankly, it's it's um, it's complicated, and that's why I wanted to provide that rule of thumb of um, look. If you're looking to do things slower, you need to do the research. But if you just want to follow all the rules of the United States, you need to have all the resources to do this within 24 hours. Because even if you're all in one state, your customers or the consumers that are affected by that data may be in other states, right? And those laws will still come to bear. Um, incident mitigation. Um, this is about, you know, that learning phase, right? So um, first of all, um, how do we how do we stop this 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 incident from taking down the company, right? Um, we've learned through analysis, hey, it had this impact. Do we need to down some systems? Um, this happened in uh, um, in that MGM hack um, a few months back in Las Vegas. They decided to down some systems. Um, and the result was uh, the casino couldn't operate for a number of days. Um, the flip side was the attackers didn't get away with as much data, right? They didn't. They weren't able to extract a ransom. You know so, that data is valuable. When days of a casino shutting down is less valuable than the data. And they, they, we could argue over whether they made the right decision, right? But they made that decision because they were trying to reduce the impact. Of an of an incident that they detected, yeah. right? Yeah. right. Um, so it might be turn off the web store, right? <laughs> it might be like unplug the internet connection, right? Um, it's probably not format the the machine because we don't want to shred that that forensic data, right? Um, but uh, those are those are all things that would happen, and um, that's it for the respond function. Um, have have you guys at Stride, have you, uh, do you get pulled into customer conversations about, uh, hey, we have to deal with an impact? Um, is that something that you guys hear? Yeah, it definitely comes up during our discovery process is what level of compliance or what compliance certifications do you have? We see a lot of SOC 2, for sure, um, especially as it relates to the accounting and finance side, security of financial data. But if we have MSPs that are working with government contractors, NIST, CMMC, you name it, sometimes NOC, we're going to see a little bit of it. Our role as being the financial partner is really just making sure we adhere to their policies. And if they have a specific policy like using a secure vault to share information, that we're adhering to that to do the best service for our clients. Yeah, I know. You know, we have um, in our industry, it's an occupational hazard to be exposed to these incidents, right? But um, I know out in the... Uh free range world of uh, CPAs and their clients. CPAs are oftentimes the first one to get the call when um, the client is is um, um, uh, subject to something like a business email compromise um, or some kind of attack where someone's been targeted, uh, invoice fraud, um, someone's CEO fraud where someone's convinced someone to send a wire or something like that. Um, the accountants get the call because they're like, oh, this is involving money. Um, and you've got to you got to deal with those situations, right? You're calling like, the guy who's at the vault. Make sure the vault's good, please. <laughs> Check the cash, quick. Yeah, we always talk about how having the right controls, having the right level. If you don't need to have access to it, you shouldn't have access to it, and vice versa. And putting in those security controls instead of having a single point of failure, a single source, and some person who has access to everything, you're going to mitigate your risk in terms of. Ooh, those situations of phishing or ransomware, or even 
fraud and negligence because there is the human element too not everything's done over a computer or an email still very true well um i'm happy to take off my incident hat <laughs> um <laughs> is that a black one or a or a white one or a gray one uh yeah it's black hat it's black hat just i you know i want to say it's a white hat but i white hats get stained Sure is the truth. I'm a hat wearer. Can you tell? <laughs> well, let's talk pricing, man. We've got our we've got our financial experts with us. You guys have seen a lot of numbers, I imagine. What uh what have you seen with your MSP partners um, from a successful perspective with pricing? Um, what have you seen from like a man? I wish they would have done something different here. And then what do you guys do from like a guidance perspective around this type of thing? And I know Matt has tons of uh, tons of thoughts and guidance that he likes to give our partners, but I'd love to hear, hear what you guys think. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, I mean, Zach, you said it yourself, so I'm not sure if I have to elaborate, but we all love profit data and action probably. So um, get into that a little bit today, but I think it's important to maybe back up a little bit. Sorry. Um, yes. No, I'm just pointing, pointing at the uh, the word actionable data here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we need those animations. Um, yeah, I want to back up just a little bit and kind of set the stage here for how we look at it and how we guide clients. But really, like data really is the heart of success for MSPs. That's what we've seen. We've seen it like it holds the key to unlocking how we can make strategic decisions and ultimately elevate your profitability. Right. Um when we dive into the world of pricing strategies, Casey being expert here, um, it's important to recognize that we're not just talking about numbers. Like, yes, we see numbers all day long, but it's important to recognize that it's really about like, how can we harness the power of this in of this info to navigate the market? Um, Casey laughs at my analogies, but I always say like in the wild, wild west of technology, um, data is kind of like the sheriff. Data is the sheriff in town. Wait, um, the constabulary. The constabulary. There we go. I can't believe I. Yeah, data is data, <laughs> the constabulary. Um, it's just it's more than just numbers. It's this really like the secret weapon for understanding what our clients need when they need it, predicting where the market's heading, where their clients are at. Uh, basically like staying one step ahead. How can we stay one step ahead? Um, which is great, right? But what a lot of people miss here is the accuracy piece. Um, at Stride, we call it like garbage in, garbage out. And really that's just our fun way of saying you get what you give us. Uh, like pricing strategies especially rely on having good quality data. Um, our decisions, your decisions as an MSP are only as good as the information behind them. So when the data is off, the strategy's off. Um, my other analogy that I like to use is like, think of your data as kind of like the fuel for your decision-making engines. Um, if we toss in like inaccurate data, outdated stuff, the results are going to be wonky. Um, and in our world, precision is everything. So having that, having the right data is like having a map in a treasure hunt. And um, at the end of the day, it's non-negotiable. So Maybe Casey, I'll pass it to you to talk a little bit about the details behind different models and pricing strategies. Well, wait, wait, you talked about having the right data. Do you find when you talk to talk to service providers, do they have the right data? Like to even do that, like that investigation? Is that like, where do you start there? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we see definitely is where MSPs are coming to us on different, like different levels of OML, which is, if you're not familiar with that acronym is the operational maturity level. So we see all kinds of MSPs coming to us. We have MSPs that are extremely mature and think they know where they're at as far as data goes. But one of the common themes you see, whether someone is extremely mature or just starting out, um, is that this is a business where everyone's like month to month. Like this is a business where everyone is so in the weeds month to month. And kind of like we talked about earlier, um, if you don't have the right people in the right seats, um, it's hard to focus like really on what we call it at Stride, we call it like your genius zone. So sometimes, you know, we have MSPs that are coming to us where CEOs are still dealing with 
payroll allocations and invoicing, um, and they're not able to sit on top of their data and make decisions. But backing up, like they're not even sure whether or not data is clean. Um, and what that means is like, do they have data they're confident in? Um, and are they able to make strategic decisions based off of that? So we see all we we see both ends of the spectrum. Um, but that's one of the things that we're trying to do as a company and as an organization is like really build the frameworks for these clients that come into us where we evaluate them on kind of like a scale, right? We, we look at like odometer really, like how quickly can we take you from your level of financial maturity to financial freedom to allow you to free yourself up um, and be confident in the data that you're using to make decisions. Yeah. To build on that point, odometer versus speedometer, we want to get your business moving as fast as it possibly can in terms of generating profit, being actionable, closing your books routinely and using that information to drive decision making. We don't care if you're an old F-150 or a Ferrari, we're going to make sure you're going as fast as that machine you've built as possible. And we're also going to support going from an F-150 to a Ferrari as much as we can and when it makes sense, because what we often see is Sometimes it has to start from a foundational level. Let's look at your balance sheet and chart of accounts. Does that even have an accurate representation of the business you're in? Or is it more generalized and not specific to your industry? Because that's the pillar of everything we do financially, accounting, bookkeeping, finance. It starts with an accurate chart of accounts and then making sure you have the correct systems to capture the relative data points throughout that process. Typically, it's your PSA. We typically see most connect wise, but making sure your PSA starts as your single source of truth. But then also, as Meg said, making sure you're using those tools. You're not as good as sometimes you think you are or as mature as you think you are. If you're, for instance, not using sales orders to generate invoices or using procurement and time data to calculate your uh, utilization rates or your gross margin on your service agreements. So it's start having those conversations where there's a little bit of education, but it's also a little bit of We've seen this. This is rooted in experience of best in class of what the top level MSPs do. Those LML fives, they're doing this, this and this. Does that make sense for you and your business? And then saying, what is the right definition for you? Do you want to grow as an MSP 10% year over year? Or do you want to maximize your valuation over the next five because you're looking to retire? The more we can pillar on picture, you know, really adjoin our services to what their goal is, those objectives and key results, the better we are as a partner to suit to get them there, as opposed to it just, hey, we can get your profit margins up. Have to start with that why they're doing that. Yeah, you 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 raised two like really interesting possible scenarios, right? In terms like just wide goals, right? Of am I trying to grow this business, right? Or am I trying to um, focus on um, you know profitability because I'm trying to value this business and maybe find a new home. Um, so th those are two things, but then, you know, there are people operating down at the bottom end of the maturity scale, either because um, they haven't put the strategic um, elbow grease in, their business has been working, um, uh, you know, they've been reasonably happy, but maybe they're real realizing there's opportunities for improvements. They, they may be looking at some more basic, um, you know, how do I acquire 10 new customers, not, not even general growth, like just like a little bit. How do I, how do I go from losing that? I've talked to service providers that for the first time ever, right. They're like, they're responding to the fact that they realize, oh, I've been losing money for a while and I didn't realize it. Right. And then they have that realization and that's like a whole nother world of I'm, I'm in, I feel like I'm in free fall. Right. How do I grab onto a vine? Right. Um, and stop that fall, which is a, another type of strategy of just how do I take what I have? right? And maximize it, right? Not necessarily for profitability or um, for growth, but really, um, how do I make it sustainable, right? I'm not sustainable right now. How do I get to sustainable, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think uh, one of the important things, we're very principled at Stride. One of the principles we always say is embrace reality and deal with it. Um, oh, I think it's I really that. important to recognize, and that's one of our favorite things to do, right? Is recognize where anyone is at on their journey, on their speedometer, on their odometer, um, as far as operational maturity or financial maturity goes, embrace reality and deal with it. Where are you? What are the one, two, three things we can do today that are going to move that needle for you? That's awesome. Yeah. What about people that are 
like just starting out their journey, like whether it's two months ago or two years ago, like they're in the beginning, right? They're just learning the business and they're, they're like, okay, I've experimented and now I'm ready to, I'm, I'm now ready to, to operate strategically for the first time because I was just, I was just, um, you know, getting my feet wet before, right? Or I was, I was only up to my knees, right? And now I'm ready to strategically dive in, right? Yeah, yeah. So in my experience, that situation arises, but how it arises is typically like this. MSP owner works for another company, a larger MSSP or cyber company for a while. They go out, they start their own business, or maybe they have a one client. Next thing you know, that's 10 clients. Next thing you know, they have a million dollar MSP and the owner is still doing the bookkeeping and accounting, which as Meg says, we use the term genius zone, is probably not that individual's genius zone. They should be attracting their clients, working on growing their business, standardizing process and procedures. So often or not those scaling or those emerging MSPs, they come to us and say, I'm grown to a million and a half. I have a decent model. I'm invoicing using these tools. What's next? How do I take this from a million and a quarter to being a $5 million a year enterprise so I can start using cash flow to invest and think of that long picture? And what we typically say is, hmm, let's start with grounding stories with facts. Where are you in terms of operational maturity? Where are you in terms of systems, data, and processes? Because if you're doing a lot of individual bespoke things, for instance, you don't specify your customer segments. You don't do value-based or tiered-based service models. You're doing all, you know, one size fits all or all you can eat. Maybe you're prioritizing break fix still too much and you're not focusing on truly the biggest generator of power, MRR, the monthly recurring revenue that MSPs are so fond of. So I think that's kind of the very first way, embracing reality and dealing with it, but then also saying, I don't know what I don't know. What is that next thing? What are the levers that we can do today that are going to be the most powerful? Because I usually say the right decision is subjective. What's right for the MSP in the middle of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is different than Columbus, Ohio or San Jose, California. It's really what is the correct course of action to take that's going to be profitable, powerful and also not distract you from your core business. It might just be, hmm, I have too many clients. I'm going to double my service offering price because I need to get rid of the clients that don't see me as a value and improve my ability to operationally be efficient. Or it's, hmm, I really am attracting a lot of healthcare companies or law offices. Why am I dealing with retail? Why am I dealing with this enterprise when this is my bread and butter? And as you guys see, I'm sure with Fort Mesa, if you're working with defense contractors, you're probably not worried about HIPAA. You're worried about NIST. You're worried about CMMC and doing what you need to focus on that core business instead of, oh, let's do everything. And that's the trap I see. MSPs, they kind of want to do it all because they are smart, they're sharp, and tools are constantly changing. But the more you can standardize your service offering, the better. When I was at an MSP, I got rid of 70% of what we did after my first six months there. Because I was like, we're not making money. It's causing us to invoice. It takes two or three days to get ready. And our core segment is really, for us, it was nonprofits and government enterprises, which led us right into the opportunity of CMMC because we were had done the preparation ground foundation work. So when CMMC first rolled out, I think it was what, 2019, 2020, we were able to really take advantage of that as a first mover. But had we not gotten rid of all the stuff we didn't do, like Aruba and all the other tools that weren't in our genius zone, we would have been still stuck in that cycle of pain of that. And eh, just under a million MSP, a good model, but not really doing anything that's going to scale us to that next level. Well, let, let's tie this back to the to the pricing piece, right? Because maturity, efficiency, process based, repeatability, all that's important. I'm sure MSPs have been beaten to death with that. Um, yeah. Not to say that it's not really. I mean, obviously, they've been beaten to death with it because it's freaking important. Um, mm -hmm. But how does it how does it relate to pricing? In in your experiences, where have you seen failures in process? Where have you seen failures to you guys call it genius zone? In dominoes, they call it aces in your places. Um, where, where have you seen failures to put your stars where they belong, impact pricing at the bottom line, or impact the MSP's um, decision-making around pricing, right? Because I know before we dove into the call, we talked a little bit about how um, if you're not efficient in certain places, it can have an impact. So I'd love if you guys would just kick that ball around a little bit and and um, run with that. 
Cool. I, yeah, this one is, this one is fun for me. Like, especially as we talk about numbers and data and actionable data, like one of the biggest differentiations we always make is difference between accounting and finance, right? We say accounting is looking in the rearview mirror, like making sure your um, finances are like up to date, right? And finance is looking forward, like finance, finance is looking through the windshield. So we always like to make that very clear difference. Um, and like, as it relates to pricing, what we keep like aces in your places, genius zone, what, what have you, um, it's so important. We, I mean, we've seen really great examples and really examples that could use a lot of help. Um, and a lot of times what we see, I mean, Casey definitely like fill in where I'm filling my gaps, but a lot of what I see day to day are, um, CEOs that step into some of the, like, like what I mentioned, like they're focused, they're still approving invoices. Like they're still reviewing invoice detail, approving all of the invoices. Like they're not even in a seat where they're able to look at, and, and maybe they have accurate data, but they don't have the freedom to take a step back and make that actionable, right? Like we always say, what does actionable really mean? Um, and it's the ability to make strategic decisions based off of your accurate data. Um, so our, I can I interrupt you for half a second, just on actionable data, yeah. Matt and I were having a conversation earlier this week. I told him, I really loved that, that X happened because it is, it has allowed me the mental freedom to be able to think clearly about yeah. Y and Z. And now I have a plan for how I want to do better with Y and Z. Um, and hearing you talk through, um, right now describing freeing up having the attention of the leader to focus on the thing that's important it's just it's exactly that attention is a it's a commodity that we have it's a resource just like um just like time and money you know and and if you're giving it to a million different tools as opposed to your pricing strategy well that yeah. certainly is going to impact the strategies so, so keep going forgive me for cutting well, you off well, we just went through our annual reporting exercise and we're looking at each area of the business, like what is all the data we have? What is usable? And the data that we have that's usable, that's 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 insightful this year is different than what we had last year. Maybe systems change, processes change, business performance changed, right? The way we did things changed. So we have to figure all that data exercise out, you know, continuously, really. Um, and so we have metrics across all areas of the business to know how how are we doing on shipping releases how are we doing on invoicing how are we doing on closing contracts how are we doing at um you know where's our unit price you know moving you know we we look we look at all sorts of stuff um and msp when they're looking at pricing um what are the types of things that should feed into that process yeah yeah so Essentially, I'm understanding what are the key metrics that they're looking at as it regards the price. Well, if they're gonna make if they're if they're gonna make a pricing decision like, mm -hmm. hey, it needs to go higher, it needs to go lower, or I need to come up with a new pricing model. What are the pieces of data that they need to look at to even effectively make an informed choice? I love that question. Yeah. So first, I'm gonna start with a term that you know, Russell Benaroya kind of coined, maybe, but we call it the fixed cost coverage ratio. Essentially, what are all your fixed costs, and how much MRR do you have on a monthly basis? Your MRR should cover at least one times of those costs per month. That's gonna give you the first indication of, hey, my pricing's at least enough to survive the nature of the business I'm in. I'm not making nothing. I'm not losing money. Ideally, driving that to double is then going to help support your variable costs in support of your margin. MSP is the gold standard for gross margin. That's kind of the number one to look at. You should be around 50%. I've seen MSPs that they're very healthy around 40% all the way up to 70%, especially if they're doing a lot of cloud infrastructure, data warehouse, AWS, et cetera. It's starting there. Hey, what is my gross margin on that service? You might say, hmm, how do I calculate that? Well, it's cost of goods sold. What are all the specific costs of goods sold allocated to that specific revenue line? So if you have your service agreements, you should be tying your subscriptions, you should be tying the labor of technicians, plus any variable costs you might have, time and material, travel, overhead, et cetera. That's gonna give you a clear indicator. Hmm, not only do I have the gross margin I need, I know my cost of goods sold, so I can improve the levers on that. And if you're an MSP that wants to build tiered based or you know, different tiers of packages, 
it's going to help you price those packages affordably. You might have some clients that are at $100 a seat because they're pretty basic, just very simple Office 365, RMM, et cetera. And you might have some at $250 a seat if you're doing compliance work or if you have extra processes, tools, and systems that you're providing. But it's hard to get to that point of pricing a tiered-based offering if you don't know your gross margin or the cost of goods sold to your services. So the, the variable costs, um, I mean, in, an, in our business, selling costs are, are, are big there, right? And we have to put our whole um, a chart of accounts. Um, we have to arrange that with the selling cost in mind. Um, I think for a lot of MSPs, the selling costs are probably lower than ours, but, but they have the, fifth, the, the infrastructure costs or they're like, I'm actually selling something to a customer that it, actually I bought from someone else that COGS um, – pull through. Right. And that sounds complicated. I mean, I, if I have, t if I have, you know, 10 customers and I have 10 vendors, right. That's like a hundred combinations, right. Um, each vendor, I have like different billing for each customer, but it all comes together on a bill. Um, yeah. what there's a, there's a, there's an amount of sophistication that needs to be able to exist to even make that possible and sustainable to, how do you do mm -hmm. that? Can I take the first shot at this? Yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm assuming there's going to be a simplification conversation had here, and I, I'm going to leave all the technical stuff to you. But if anybody has ever seen Hell's Kitchen with Chef Gordon Ramsay, he walks in, and first, after all the humorous, you know, jackassery and hoo has, they look at the menu, and he's like, there's too much shit on the menu, man. What are you good at? And anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to make my Gordon Ramsay right. Honestly, you said it. There's too much on the dang menu. And you go into a restaurant, and unless it's a family diner or a local spot, if it's six pages, leave. They're not doing anything well if they have much typically. Now, is that true for MSPs? No. MSPs typically get to that point because they've been around forever. They started as break fix, and then they started remote management. And then they went to the managed service model and cyber and security and all the other services, but they didn't modernize and embrace change along the way. We see clients that have agreements and clients that it's awesome. You've had that client for 20 years, but it's still written in Microsoft 2000. That's an issue. We need to update that. And it's also system adaptation or really proliferation. So many MSPs, they have a PSA, they use 10% of its capabilities. And I know some of these PSAs don't make it easy to use. Sometimes they make it a little bit old, outdated. But if you learn and use the systems correctly or to a simply, it's going to add to a better, as Meg said, that garbage in, garbage out cycle. Now we're putting the right data into your console because you should be able to consolidate and really sync your licenses. Paxade, Ingram, Micro, I don't really care who you go through to get your licenses or products. Almost all of them have a sync tool to the ConnectWise or PSAs and a QBO. But it's more so that they just don't know. While they do know how to set up and what's the right level of cybersecurity for each desktop, they don't understand hmm, what are the right products that are going to make my life easier. Oh, I shouldn't be invoicing out of QuickBooks Online. I should be invoicing out of ConnectWise and then allocating and just recording that to QuickBooks Online. I shouldn't be paying bills out of just random credit cards or accounts. Let me use a tool like bill.com to create an AP process that's scalable and, as we usually say, transcends the individual owners. Too many owners, they have the opportunity cost. They're spending 10 to 20 hours a month on accounting and finance that's not strategic, is very tasky oriented, and isn't growing their business. So not only are they not closing new revenue, they're actually costing their company thousands of dollars a so month I, by doing I, something. I, one of the things, so you just presented a list of things that MSP should be in love with. Um, like I, so I'm a technologist. I want to, I want to identify that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I get the mentality. You identify but as a technologist. I, 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 yeah, I identify as a technologist. It's on my driver's license, but uh, in any case, uh, <laughs> you just listed a bunch of tool implementations, yeah. right? And technologists love tool implementations, right? So we bought these tools, but are we using them? The billing workflows, right? The um, service delivery workflows, the um, C maybe CPQ tools, right? Like making sure that that data is being collected and synced, right? Is just as important yeah. there as it is as like you're configuring customers email routing, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe it's more important, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we hate spreadsheets here. Unless you need one, don't use one. 
I usually say procurement. So many MSPs, they'll use ConnectWise, but they won't use the procurement module. And is it difficult at times? Yeah. But if it's set up correctly and syncing correctly, it's not bad. And there's other tools out in the market that do that synchronization. But if you're going manually line by line in a spreadsheet with thousands of different licenses because Microsoft decides to change the names yet again, you're probably going to spend more time than if you just use the tools and adopt them to sync. And there's a level of investment. The one tool that I usually say, hey, there's outdated information is QuickBooks Online versus QuickBooks Desktop. There's too many MSPs that are still in the mind that, oh, I need to be on desktop because if I secure it and locally host it, it's not only going to be more secure, it's also going to give me more freedom. When actually it's a legacy software tool that Intuit's trying to phase out and actually you're less secure because now you're going to be more likely for an individual attack as opposed to a widespread ransomware attack for like an Intuit. And I would, I mean, sure you guys hear about it all the time. 90% of cybersecurity and any ransomware attacks are companies under $5 million of revenue, five to 10 million of revenue. That's most MSPs. And what criminals are getting smart, they're attacking the MSPs because they know, oh, it's not one company. It's all the companies that that MSP now works and serves are at risk. So I usually say move to QuickBooks online and we do a lot of those conversions in house. That's the first pillar, but then it's really, the integrations, the APIs, the automations, the QuickBooks Online is a very powerful tool, much like PSAs and everything else. It's just having an expert, a company like Astride or the other ones out there that truly knows how to use that tool correctly and the systems that integrate. So, so do you do you, you do you have people do revenue recognition there in QuickBooks, or do you use other tools to like figure out which customers are the profitable ones? Like, how how do you how do you figure that out? How do you figure out these? You know, you're saying, hey, it's you have to compare fixed costs to variable costs mm -hmm. with you know your MRR. Where where does that happen? <laughs> yeah, so. It really, there's multiple tools. Uh, In-house, we have what's called Stride BI, which is our business intelligence. We can develop on a, we can pull all your data in and do custom reporting and KPIs. A lot of MSPs will use Bright Gauge, which is more on the operational efficiency side. Sometimes they're using MSP CFO, which is more on the financial lens, or they're simply just using the basic reporting out of QuickBooks. It's really more accessibility. We can kind of do it wherever. It's really making sure ConnectWise has it accurately because you're going to see your COGS, you're going to see your profitability, your pricing. PSA needs to be your single source of truth and flow out from there. And then you're able to slice and dice however. Some prefer spreadsheets too. That's the one case where spreadsheets are okay. For financial modeling, analytics, and that kind of stuff, it's okay. For the business process, not so much. I'd love to throw something out there. Um, I I don't want to damn big menus. Um, and, and Casey, you said you, you can get to the point where you get uh, a large offering as a service provider. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to I want to call out the right way to get there. Right. And I think a lot of immature um, or, or, or growing um, MSPs, new MSPs, they look at the big guys and they say, oh, look at the big dogs, man. Look, at they do this well and they do this well. And they do, what can't they do well? I want to be like that. For my business to be good, I got to be like that, right? And the issue is, is if you put the cart before the horse, mm -hmm. then you're not, actually ever, you're not actually doing what it is that they did to be able to have such a big offering. So um, go for it. But the way that you properly grow out an offering like that is by saying, what do I want to focus on here and on this amount of time? And then you do it and you become good at it and you become you, you say, OK, now I'm going to set this here and then something else is going to come into the main spot. And then you do that for 40 years, you know, and then that's why when build businesses put on their, you know, their against their logo since 19, blah, 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 blah. That's why yeah. that has weight, because you've been yeah. able to do it and you've grown those competencies over a long time. So I just wanted to throw that out there as like uh, I said something, but here's the other side of the coin to it. Because mm -hmm. So it, so I, yes to everything you guys said, um, yeah. and that's for MSPs that are selling, um, you know, particularly flat rate services, right, with a well-defined SLA. Um, mm -hmm. But... You know, there's other predominant business modes out there. You can that would be for a service-led company, right? You know, where you have an SLA and you say, "This is what I do 
for this much per month, right? It's flat. It's by, by unit. But you can actually run a great, highly effective, profitable business being product-led, right? And, um, and uh, you know, VARs have been doing that for many decades, value-added resellers, right? Um, you're probably not going to be making promises around service to the customer in those scenarios, right? And you're not going to yeah. get trapped in sand pits of unprofitability because mm -hmm. every single time you interact with the customer, there's an evaluation of, okay, what is my margin on this transaction, right? Which may include some service components, but the point is that there's a beginning, middle, and end of that transaction, right? Yeah. And it's profitable from end to end. And when you do your analysis, you know, that that should happen for each transaction, right? It's 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 a good yeah. point that you made from profitable to end to end. And it's also reasonable to say, if you know that you've gone through your process and you've said, this is good, this is good, this is good, then you can be better at sales because you can say, hey, I can give here, right? I've gone through and I know I got percent, percent. I've got, these are, you know, this is the, this is the confines of the room in which I'm going to operate here. And if I yep. want to give a little love to a, to a client, I can because I've done my research and I don't have to feel like I'm free falling. Yeah. Give yeah. a little bit because I don't know what the numbers are in the back of my head. And well, I hope that, well, oh, oh, you know, and then the partner can see you or the client, whatever I think of everybody. Yeah. The client can see you having that inner inner turmoil and they don't know yeah. why you're having it. They just see you struggling to cut them a deal and they're like, ah, fuck this guy, you know? So it really yeah. matters to have done that beforehand because it, mm -hmm. it educates how you're going to be when you're actually with the client. Yeah. And, and Matt, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, productizing. And the problem is we think oh, we're in a service business, so we're not really selling a product, but your service is the product. And the more you can standardize and productize a physical service offering in conjunction with your subscriptions as licenses, hardware, et cetera, the more profitable and powerful to Zach, your point, that's how you get to 20 years of providing something in consistency and having a base, having a department that is just Azure experts or AWS experts. Cause you take the time to say, Hmm, we have an opportunity. They'd like us to do this product. Is this in service of what we want to do and be known for as an organization? Or does it make sense to refer this out? Because so many MSPs, they want to do it all. When I was at mine, we didn't touch Apple. We had an Apple expert. We did everything for that. Heck, we didn't even touch AWS. We were all Azure. If you had AWS, we got a nice little referral and partnership to send it to another person who was better at us. And that just builds the confidence in your clients because many MSPs struggle to sell because they're like, they're trying to sell an hourly or they're trying to sell, well, you need to be secure. What is that value to your clients? What is the value to that CEO? If a CEO can't access something from his network or can't access anywhere in real time, he's spending extra time to do it. Or if he has outdated technology and he's spending two hours to do something that's one, you've just improved his efficiency by 100% if you're able to implement that. The more you can tie managed services to your clients, the better. When I was selling CMMC, it was clear. Hey, defense contracting manufacturer, you're going to lose 30% of your annual revenue if you don't do this standard. I understand it's a $50,000 investment, but it's an investment in your ability to make a million next year. I think I'm going to take that every single time. The ROI is there. MSPs, the more you can think of your service as a value-driven product, the more you're going to be able to command higher seat pricing per licensing, be able to show more love to your clients by giving them that better care, holding their hand through those transactions. Cause you're like, I'm good. I'm making margin. I can spend a little bit more time when necessary without feeling like I need to be a lawyer and every word and every minute time capturing so I can build that up. You can give a little love there. My only caveat is when you give something for free and if you forget anything, anytime you do something free for a client, let them know. Cause too many times you do things for free and they don't know. Your free has no value then. Don't discount because people do get addicted to discounts. But if you give value in free, please make your clients aware of that because then it's seen as, a oh, they do take that interest in their clients' long-term success. It's not just about the investment of our relationship. Meg, you got a good BDR uh, lead over here at Stride. You guys, you guys have uh, good principles. You know what you're talking about. You guys, awesome. Awesome. 
Matt, should we should we hit any other high level topics before we do a once around? And well, I think you know my takeaways here are, you know, to do pricing right. Um, you you need data, and the but that's that's not a tactical thing, right? There's a strategic imperative there to prepare for that by putting those processes in place that allow you to to collect that data, which is not a one time thing. Um, you know, you have to. We talked about these these systems that talk to each other um, to collect that data in one authoritative place. It's it's usually a PSA for a for an MSP um, for most MSPs, right? Um, uh, I think uh, so. It, you know, if if you have that data, the the pricing should be evident, right? So I think that's what I'm hearing. And if you don't have that data, you should be looking through your agreements and consoles on a monthly basis, weekly basis, until you get consistent with it. Make sure your agreements match. Make sure your pricing's in 2024 and not 2004, please. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you're struggling to operate the business, right, you're, yeah. you're either missing something operationally, right, or your prices are too low, like, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, period. So, I'm going to use Okay, do it, man. You're up. Yeah, so obviously it's stride. What do we do? We, we support MSPs who are coming and saying, I need to get to another destination. And it starts with the core bookkeeping and accounting. Get that off of your plate first. It's going to help you be more efficient. It's going to help you be more actionable. And it's going to increase your valuation. Oh, you have a team and support. And you're consistent in your data. If you look at the M&A field, now they're not going to pick through your chart of accounts, balance sheet, and P&L as much because they see the data is consistent. And then I would say in terms of like what stride do I am happy to announce we, we've recently gone through some transitions. We're adding tax planning, prep, compliance and support. So now we are going to have tax prep CPA services in house at stride so we can just have a better offering and really complete that trifecta bookkeeping, accounting, strategic finance and then that tax advisory piece because so many MSPs, they're doing it for a reason. They want to have a profitable business. There's a lot of 50 to 60 year old MSP owners that are like, I can't do this forever. I want to be done. How can I be partnered with you, Stride, to get to that three to five years, maximizing my valuation, improving and securing my business, and building a good foundation that I can scale on? So that would be my little small 30-second, 60-second plug there for what we can do to support you. What's your favorite piece of candy? You know, it's funny. My favorite piece of candy, and it's an addiction, are peanut M&Ms. So much so that a month and a half ago, I got two bags delivered to my house, and I still have no idea who sent them. And I'm talking big bags. They're already gone. So that is, uh, if there was a superhero thing, that is my kryptonite or peanut M&Ms. Can't help it. There are human beings out there that, honest to God, have the same issue with those, but not for the fact that they like them so much. It's just peanuts. Mm -hmm. Meg, you want to give us a takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most important takeaways is that, <laughs> yes, peanut m &Ms. Um, Regardless of where you're at, like, we really don't care where you're at when you come in. It's a, like we optimize for goals and not tasks, right? It's like, wh where do you want to be? And what are the certain things that you can focus on? Like, focus on, like what Casey was saying, fight the fires first. Um, get yourself in a place where you need to be to be able to... Um, put the right people in the right seats in order to make the right decisions. Absolutely. I'm actually, I'm going to steal my uh, takeaway in exchange for this, this question we have, uh, Matt, if you throw it up there, how to make sure techs are utilization stays high. I think what the question is asking is, you know, we, we, we get these tools mm -hmm. and then how come they're not using the tools? I got them right. Um, and if you're having that as an issue, it's process, process and management it doesn't have anything to do with the tools. Uh, the people who are who are you're expecting to use the tool either doesn't understand the value of the tool, doesn't understand the expectation or has some kind of knowledge competency issue or they don't give a shit. And if that's the case, there's a different problem. But um, you can address that as well. Um, so that's that. Um, and unless anybody else has uh, a takeaway or a, a final thought, I'm going to, I'm going to see us out. No, I mean, you hit the nail there. It's process. I mean, assuming you're tracking time, you're going to see your utilization as it relates, but yeah, it's going to be people in process first and then obviously track your time, but no, that's it. All right. Well, this was a ton of fun. You guys are a great conversation. You guys do some pretty interesting things in the space. 
I uh, hope folks watching got some good tips and pointers on how to consider um, their pricing in relation to, to action and data, which are two, again, of my favorite things. Um, next week, we're going to have Chris Johnson and some folks going through uh, the CompTIA Trustmark on. We're going to talk about what they're doing there, what that experience is like, what CompTIA is up to. It's going to be a lot of fun. If this is your first time tuning in to the Fort Mesa Cyber Roundtable, please make sure to like us on LinkedIn. And if you're looking for more educational content, we have a YouTube channel that's full of valuable educational content like this. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Have a happy weekend. Hopefully some people are going to get to enjoy a false spring uh, this weekend. And um, we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Zach, Matthew, for Mesa, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. We'd love yeah. to do it again sometime. We'd love yeah. to have you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.